Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hi everyone, Trevor here, writer and producer of The Sheridan Tapes and Homestead on the Corner. I just wanted to let you all know that our official merchandise store is now open on redbubble.com. You can now get stickers, pins, shirts, mugs, notebooks, and much, much more featuring Isva, Poultice Press, and Santa Lucia State Park, along with good old-fashioned logo wear for the show itself. You can find our store link at thesheridantapes.com under the support section. Get cool stuff and help us keep telling the story. It's a win-win for everyone. And, as always, this episode of The Sheridan Tapes was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Shirley Casperson, Virginia Spots, Jesse Steele, Sam Taylor, Mike and Don Van Winkle, Neil Covert, Aries Jimenez, Holly Harmon, Accursed, and Ali Vasilevska. If you'd like to support the show as well, then please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $1 a month, you get early access to all new episodes, a special patron-only podcast, and exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I 
wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, uh, we're recording again. Uh, Maria showed me that I had an issue with my ACO driver, whatever that means, so hopefully the recorder should crash a little less often than it did before. She didn't know quite how the driver got that screwed up, but... Here we go. One horrible sludgy black coffee for you, and one slightly more palatable cup of sludge with cream for me. Thanks. Huh. Did you put something in this? Hmm? Oh, yeah, you know, bit of LSD, dash of cyanide, a little wolfsbane. Maria. Oh, fine. I put a bit of cinnamon in it. It was all I could find in the break room. Why? Do you not like it? It's... it's fine. Just... I guess adding anything nice to station coffee just highlights how awful it really is. Is the recorder running any better now? What? Oh, uh... yeah, I I think so. Let's see. Test, 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 test. Sixteen sour salamanders scampering slowly sunward. Tip-top Terra tearing towards Titania. Yeah, looks good. And it's a pretty good acoustic space for recording, by the way. Uh, thanks? What's the next tape? Uh... One six ten three ten. Uh, do you have the? Yeah, I've got it. Let's see, volume one, chapter six. Uh, eight nine ten one two three and ten. Keyword C. October twenty fourth, twenty twelve. Digitized on April 29th, twenty ninth, twenty nineteen at twenty two thirty one Pacific Standard Time by Maria Soul and Sam Bailey. Marker. Um, right, uh, Detective Samuel Bailey, Oslo County Police Department, Homicide Division. Uh, tape begins. If you can hear that, you can probably tell that I shouldn't be outside right now. Hurricane Sandy just made landfall here in Kingstown, and it's starting to get pretty hairy out here. Thankfully, (sighs) safety is only a sliding door away. Though I know a lot of people aren't so lucky. Still, it's only a Category 1, so for now I can just stay nice and dry in my hotel room until it blows over. Not much else I want to be doing outside anyway. My flight to Puerto Montt was canceled almost as soon as I touched down at KIN. And I don't know when anyone will start flying again. Still, worse places to be stuck right now. Much worse. 
And the blob's already been washed ashore for nine years at this point. A few more weeks won't really make a difference. Not that any of that makes it easier to wait. There isn't much to do in here besides just sit out the storm. Maria couldn't come, of course. She had another job come up last minute, and apparently she had to take it to make rent this month. So it's just me this time. Probably for the best. She hates flying, and any boat bigger than a kayak freaks her out a little, so... Yeah, she probably would have skipped out on this trip even if she hadn't been booked. You're afraid of water? I'm afraid of the ocean. There's a difference. What? (sighs) Well, fun as it is to stare at the wall, I guess I might as well get started on my log for this trip. I meant to record it from the deck of the Hortensia, but... I think the middle of a hurricane is dramatic enough, even for me. For as long as people have sailed the open ocean, there have been stories of sea monsters. Creatures of enormous strength and size summoned from the depths by humanity's trespass upon their territory. Once the hairless apes discovered how to build boats, we turned the ocean into our own personal million-lane highway without a second thought. Over the centuries, we've shipped spices, troops, slaves, oil, and weapons across thousands of leagues with little thought of whose oceans we were sailing. Most of the time, we got away with it. But occasionally, we didn't. There has never been any independent confirmation of these creatures' existence. Not if you discount the hundreds of eyewitness accounts, like most do. True. No one's ever found a living specimen of the fabled giant octopus. But there are stories, stories from all over the world that speak of the same thing. A cephalopod the size of a school bus with tentacles hundreds of feet long and powerful enough to drag ships down to the bottom of the ocean. Even in the cryptid community, there's still no consensus on whether such a creature exists or if it ever existed. The giant squid was given much the same treatment for centuries, and we only observed one in its natural habitat in 2004. And despite all that we've learned since then, we still don't know much about its normal life cycle and behavior. They normally live between one and 3,000 feet below sea level, just above the abyssal plain, the deepest part of the ocean. We only really see them when they're disturbed and forced into shallower waters. Their territory is too deep and dark for us to observe directly. So what about the depths below that? After all, we know almost nothing about the abyssal plane, even though it covers nearly half of the planet's surface. All of the dry land on Earth only takes up about 30%. And if my work proves anything, it's that there are still plenty of unknowns in our backyard. Who's to say that these creatures The sea monsters of myth and legend aren't still down there in the dark, just waiting to be found. (laughs) There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your... (sighs) Oh, great. Storm must have knocked out the power. Just what I needed. That's better. 
Not ideal, but enough light to see what I'm doing, at least. Of course, if these monsters really exist, then we should have found some physical evidence after all this time. Ships these days are a bit harder to pull down to the depths. So if they're still around, they haven't attacked anyone in a long time. At least, not that I know of. Instead, we have globsters. Blobs. Masses of animal tissue washed ashore by the tide that can't be readily identified even by trained biologists. There have been several notable blobs in the Americas over the years, though probably the most famous is the St. Augustine Monster. It turned up in 1896, appearing one night without explanation on the beach it was later named after. It was first spotted by two kids riding their bikes by the waterfront. They thought it was a beached whale, so they went to the town's doctor, DeWitt Webb, with the news. He was also the founder of the local historical society and scientific institute. In other words, a proper scientist, not a sensationalist. He rolled up to the beach the next day to examine the creature. It was half buried in the sand by then, but he noted that it weighed somewhere in the neighborhood of about five tons, was almost 20 feet long, and seemed to have the stumps of at least four arms, with a possible fifth detached and buried nearby. He had a few photos taken, but they were overexposed and thus never published. Instead, when the local press got their hands on the story, they pretty much made up whatever they wanted, which resulted in descriptions and illustrations of a full-on sea monster, complete with tentacles aplenty and a sea lion head of all things. And it only got worse as the story spread out and got more and more exaggerated. After the blob was washed out to sea in a storm and then back in again, it was finally hauled a few miles inland to South Beach on Anastasia Island, where it became something of a tourist attraction for several years, until it somehow disappeared without a trace. And that might have been the end of the whole story if a few samples of the blob hadn't been sent to the Smithsonian when it was found. In 1971, these samples were examined by a biologist at the University of Florida, who concluded that the sample most likely came from an octopus. Based on the size of the blob, he estimated that it must have been enormous, with tentacles up to 100 feet long and weighing in at several dozen tons when it was alive. It wouldn't be the biggest creature in the sea if that were true. That honor would still be held by the frankly ludicrous blue whale. But it would be close, horrifyingly so. I mean, just try to picture an octopus coming up out of the darkness with tentacles nine stories tall, and you start to get an idea why sailors were so terrified to go past that line on the map marked, here be monsters. Of course, as soon as someone in the scientific community admitted that there might be giant monsters in the ocean, someone had to come along and ruin it. Another analysis in 1986 agreed with the initial findings. But then two studies, one in 1995 and another in 2004, used the latest and greatest in electron microscope technology to come to the utterly disappointing conclusion that the monster was actually 
a lump of blubber, torn off the rotting corpse of a whale by the tide. The O4 study went even further and concluded that all of the globsters we have samples of were just big pieces of whale fat, and that we should all rest easy knowing that there are no Lovecraftian monsters waiting for us beneath the waves. I'm not saying those studies were wrong. Hell, maybe all the blobs we've ever found really are just bits of dead whale. I'm a fiction writer. I'm not really qualified to say one way or the other. But it just doesn't seem right that this conclusion was just accepted without question, even when it disregards centuries of eyewitness testimony and shuts down any further investigation by labeling it as pseudoscience. And like I said, we know almost nothing about the real depths of the ocean, but we're all afraid of it, at least a little bit. And I don't think it's a fear based only on the unknown. So here I am, on my way to Puerto Montt to get on a boat and sail along the Chilean coast to look for myself. Another globster washed ashore in 2003, the most recent one on record and one of the largest, 14 tons and nearly 40 feet across. Once again, the scientific consensus is that it's just whale blubber, but I intend to check for myself and see if there might be anything else in the waters beyond, just waiting for God. Hello? Is someone there? Sorry, I thought I heard someone out in the hall. Anyways, I managed a book passage on the Hortensia, a research vessel looking into the effects of climate change on deep sea mammals and other megafauna, mostly giant squids and whale sharks though they have run into some even stranger creatures in recent years. One or two giant oarfish, and even an unusually large anglerfish that definitely shouldn't have come that close to the surface. The captain, Marco Asturias, just happens to be one of the most dedicated cryptozoologists I've ever met, though he keeps that fact mostly to himself. It would be significantly harder for him to get funding if the wider scientific community knew he was also keeping an eye out for small thing is that could stop the pirate bombing. Okay, who the hell is that? Hello? Is anyone there? No one's there, Sheridan. Of course there's no one. I don't know what's going on with that. Maybe someone's watching a movie downstairs. The sound does carry kind of weird in this building. What the hell? Hello? Sorry to bother you, but could you keep it down a bit? My wife, she's got a bit of a headache and she's trying to sleep. Oh, sorry. I just, did you hear anyone in the hall earlier? Um, yes? You? No. No, besides me. She sounded, I don't know, English? Irish, maybe? Um, no. I didn't hear anyone. Sorry. Damn. Are, are you feeling alright? I'm fine, thank you. 
carrying things in the dark again, Sheridan? Seriously, you have enough ghosts in your life without worrying about... Ah! Oh, great. Just what I needed. And I was just getting settled in here, too. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in that. Uh, hello? Who's there? Is it? I was dying. That's all I knew. I was good as death, and there was no salvation waiting for me on the other side. It's nature I knew that. The voice I heard. Who are you? Not much. That verse, a few other words, and the question. That's all that really matters, I suppose. Please, if you can hear me. <sighs> what would you do to save yourself? It asked. Please. Said I. Shit, I need to. I need to get out of. Well, here we are at last. The deck of the Hortensia, five miles off the coast of Chile. We're heading out towards deeper water to begin the research trip now. But I can't shake this feeling that it's already a bust. I hate to say that. Marco's just as committed as ever to proving the existence of Octopus Gigantis. But after what I heard in that hotel room, I've listened back to that recording a dozen times now. It sounds very similar to a lot of the non-reactive ghosts I've encountered over the years. There's a theory about some hauntings, a pretty old one actually, dating back to spiritualism's heyday in the late 1800s. It's most commonly known as the stone tape theory, though that's a bit of a misnomer. Basically, it suggests that ghosts might not actually be the trapped spirits of the dead, but just a recording of their words and actions when they were alive, somehow captured and played back by the rocks, walls, trees, and in this case, water that surrounded them. Just an inanimate image of the person, reliving the same moments over and over again, drifting through walls and doors and buildings that didn't exist when they were alive never seeing or reacting to the world around them, completely unaware of the passage of time. They're just memories. The way the world remembers them long after anyone who knew them has disappeared for good. <laughs> I suppose I can't be too cynical about that. After all, that's basically what I'm doing recording this now creating my own ghost for those who come after me. I don't think there's anything useful in there. Next tape? Uh, hold on. Did she find anything? Excuse me? Did she find what she was looking for once she got to Chile? Oh, well, no. At least, not that she told me. Oh. What, did you want her to find out that sea monsters are real? I think more people would know about that if she did. No, but still, kind of a waste. To do all that and just find a run-of-the-mill ghost in a hotel room? I'm sure she wasn't happy about that. 
It wasn't exactly run-of-the-mill. Sorry? Well, it called itself Anne Bonnie at one point in the recording. That was the name of one of the most notorious pirates in the Caribbean during the Golden Age of Piracy. The last time she shows up in history, she was being held in Kingstown, awaiting her own execution. And what happened to her? What has become of her since we cannot tell, only this we know, that she was not executed. Charles Johnson, 1724. That's where the histories end. But there are stories, of course. There are always stories with someone like that. Hmm. That you have a theory? Anna had one, actually. It took her a while to share it with me, but after she almost drowned in Emerald Bay, she told me that wasn't the first time she'd heard the question. She thought that maybe there was something that lived in the water, or maybe was the water, and that it somehow preserved Anne Bonnie. She believed that Bonnie escaped and fled Kingstown, got caught in a storm or fell overboard, and encountered this entity just before she drowned. It offered her a chance to survive, and she took its offer. At first, Anna thought the voice might only exist in Jamaica, but after hearing it in Tahoe and finding evidence of the same question in Scotland, Guam, and Australia... Uh, and Agate Shore. What? She found it in Agate Shore as well, just before she disappeared. It was on one of her last tapes. Sure, in Agate Shore too, or whatever's left of it anyways. Still, she... Whoa, what's that look for? I, uh, um, uh, I, I need to get some fresh air. Um, you'll be fine without me for a second? Uh, yeah, sure. She wouldn't mention that it was... that it's... Huh. It must really say something about me that the only place I can really calm down and think is the morgue. Even if I don't know what it says. I mean, it is quieter than the station down here, and no one wants to strike up a conversation around a bunch of dead bodies, so... <laughs> well, I guess it's got that going for it. Uh, huh. So that's where you ended up. John Doe, alias DeWitt. Huh. Guess I found your namesake today, didn't I? this is. You, you knew. I mean, you, you must have known about Sheridan. Maybe about all the rest of it, too. God, the things you could have told me if you'd just... Huh. That's odd. There, there seems to be finger-shaped indentations on the throat. N not bruises. There's no discoloration, but... 
It almost looks like the skin's been warped or pushed and by... Ugh! Um, Liam. The skin has, um... An unusual texture and consistency. Almost like... Well, almost like molding clay, actually. It still has quite a bit of give, even with the freezing temperatures of the... Miley. You... You're... How are you with... Get me out of here. The Sheridan Tapes, Episode 18, The Vastness of the Sea, starring Aaron Neely Chaconis as Anna Sheridan, Amitola Lomas as Maria Soul, Alex Brown as Laurel, Virginia Spots as Anne Bonney, and Trevor Van Winkle as Sam Bailey and Lieutenant DeWitt, with original music by Jesse Hogan. Written and produced by Trevor Van Winkle and made possible by our supporters at patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. Visit thesheridantapes.com to view additional content, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Trevor underscore vw new episodes are released every friday at 5 p.m pacific standard time on all podcasting platforms i'm trevor van winkle this is homestead on the corner and you're listening to the sheridan tapes Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.